0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com weightloss.
1: This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, Christmas Eve 2013, A 14 year old calls 911 and pleads with the operator to send someone to an apartment at Lake Luzerne in New York. She tells the dispatcher that her mother has been stabbed and is on the floor dying. The teenager gives the operator a detailed description of the suspect because she knows the man well. It is her father. Welcome to episode 14 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Located in the southern Adirondacks, the small town of Lake Luzerne has a humble population of fewer than 4,000 people. Dissected by the Hudson River, the picturesque town is framed by mountains and is especially stunning in the winter months. Police responded to a 911 call arriving at an apartment on 69 Lake Avenue just after 5pm. The twinkling of the Christmas illuminations on the quiet street were overpowered by flashing lights and the usual silence had been replaced by sirens and screams. When the emergency services entered the apartment, they found Patricia Burns on the floor bleeding profusely from multiple stab wounds. 42-year-old Patricia worked in a local community hospice in Saratoga County for the last eight years. She was a single mother who lived with her daughters. That Christmas Eve, Patricia had been at home in her Lake Luzerne apartment with two of her daughters, Megan and Autumn. They were preparing food for the following day's festivities. Patricia's other daughter Hayley had gone out with some friends. Shortly after 5pm, a man dressed head to toe in camouflage and wearing a ski mask barged through the family's front door. Patricia was terrified and began to back away from the intruder, but he shoved her into the wall. Megan rushed over to help her mother, and in the scuffle she pulled down the attacker's mask. It was her stepfather. Patricia pleaded with her ex-husband not to hurt her. She told him she loved him and begged for her life as he repeatedly plunged a knife into her body. Patricia's youngest daughter, Ralta made a heartbreaking call to 911. She describes how her father attacked her mother and that Patricia was bleeding out on the floor. Megan had also been stabbed in the arm, and she ran outside to try and get help.
2: 911, where's your emergency? My, my mom's bleeding out on the floor. My dad's a
0: kid, and, ran, and she, she's bleeding out.
1: On the 911 call, Autumn tells the dispatcher that her father had fled. She described what he looked like and what he was wearing.
2: He's on foot, he ran, I don't know if What's he's going to be cool. He's like 5'9", five 5'10". Five he's bald, he's wearing camouflage right now and I think he's going go to go out into the mountains.
1: Outside, Megan saw her stepfather following her and luckily people nearby came to her aid before her stepfather quickly absconded from the scene. Megan went back into the apartment where Autumn was still on the phone. She begged the dispatcher to send help quickly because her mother was dying. Autumn pleaded with her mother to stay with her, telling Patricia that she was strong and that everything would be Okay. The call to the emergency services lasted ten minutes and twenty three seconds. Autumn can be heard sobbing while telling her mother to pray. The teenager informs the operator that her mother is all she has left.
2: Mom, is she breathing? Be with us. You're stronger. You, you can do this, mom. I know you can. She's dying. She, she's on her way. Help me, Ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. I, I I know. I'm I'm trying to get no. people there. To... No, no, so don't understand. She's on her
1: Patricia's daughter Harley had been out with friends. After being alerted through social media that police were at her home, she rang the house. Harley spoke with Megan and was told what had happened. The police knew exactly who they were looking for. Patricia's ex-husband Clifford Burns. After a string of failed relationships with troubled men who were battling addiction, Patricia met Clifford Burns in 1997. Patricia's daughter Megan told True Crime Daily that her mother met Burns while working at a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. He would come by every day, and they eventually began a relationship. Burns' own childhood had been marked by domestic violence. His father James would regularly beat his mother Edith, and in 1984 he even kidnapped her. After the abduction, he shot and injured a police officer, and then turned the gun on himself, bringing to a close the years of domestic abuse at the family's home. Three years before the kidnapping, James had also shot Edith in the upper torso as they drove along Route 7. Edith survived the shooting, and James was convicted of second-degree assault and sentenced to up to four and a half years in prison, which he ended up not serving. He remained free pending appeal. Patricia's mother was wary of Clifford Burns from the beginning. Still, her daughter loved him, and the couple started a family. Patricia had a son and two daughters, Megan and Crystalline from a previous relationship. After marrying Burns, they had two more girls, Harley and Autumn. In 2009, the husband and wife moved to Lake Luzerne in the Adirondacks. Burns did not break the cycle of abuse he grew up in. He perpetuated it. Burns would physically abuse Patricia blame her for the most minor things. He would even threaten her with a gun, much like Burn's own father had done to his mother. The children would witness the abuse, which only ever occurred behind closed doors. To the rest of the world, Byrne seemed like a great guy. He was sporty, adventurous and ambitious, but to those who knew him best, he was a violent man. In 2003, he was charged with an assault on Patricia that ended with a misdemeanor conviction. At their home, he had knocked her down and punched her in the face and head. Patricia tried to end the relationship numerous times. Still, Burns would always win her over, promising to change, but he never did. The string of tragedies continued. And on December 27, 2010, Patricia's 15-year-old daughter Crystaline died in her sleep. The cause of death was unexplained, and Christmas was a time of year forever scarred by the loss. Crystaline was the middle child, a generous, mature young woman who was looked up to by her younger siblings. She wanted to work in healthcare like her mother. Both Chrissy, as she was known to friends, and Patricia, her mother, had been sick at Christmas, but Crystalline seemed to be better when she went to bed on December 26th. When Clifford Burns came down the next morning, he found Crystalline unresponsive, and attempts at resuscitation were unsuccessful. After separating from Clifford Burns, Patricia felt strong enough to make it final. She had been through enough trauma, and she took out a protection order against her abusive ex-husband. Arlie had decided to stay with her father when her mother moved to an apartment in Lake Luzerne. Burns had never been abusive towards the children, but as it turned out, that was only because Patricia always stepped in to protect them. Arlie soon moved back to her mother's home when the verbal threats became too much for the young teenager to cope with. Patricia Burns began dating a man named Ted Bacchus, who was the brother of a local sheriff. This relationship ended badly when Bacchus assaulted Patricia and fired his gun during the incident, shooting at the ceiling. Despite the fact he was prosecuted for two misdemeanours, he only received a restraining order after pleading guilty. Harley and Autumn did not speak with their father often. In fact, they had not seen him in eight months. But just before the holidays, Autumn decided to text Burns to wish him a Merry Christmas. The message read, I just wanted to tell you I love you and Merry Christmas. Burns responded with an ominous warning, a veiled threat that Patricia and her daughters saw through, but not to the extent in which it was meant. The text read, I have a special gift coming, something for everyone to talk about, and it will be hand-delivered on foot. A very special gift I hope all your friends are there to see especially Harley. Autumn responded, What do you mean? Her father never replied. It had been three years after Kristalyn's death. Patricia and her children were simply trying to have a happy family holiday. They planned to attend a family celebration at Patricia's mother's house on Saturday. But tragically, Patricia would not make it. After Clifford Burns had broken into the apartment on Tuesday, December 24th, and stabbed Patricia in a frenzied attack, she was taken to Glen Falls Hospital by ambulance. She was pronounced dead on arrival. Megan had suffered a serious injury to her arm while trying to protect her mother. After making his getaway, police spotted Clifford Burns in a vehicle in Lake George. Officers began pursuing the suspect, and he drove through the municipal centre to the Warren County Sheriff's Office parking lot. A deputy approached him and asked what he was doing there. Burns replied, I've done a bad thing. I need to go to jail. My stuff is by the door. Over the course of the next five hours, police interviewed 46-year-old Clifford Burns. In the interview footage that was released shortly after, Burns can be heard saying that he just could not take it anymore. Burns said he snapped when he received a phone call from a child support collection specialist who informed him that he would be arrested after two missed Child Support payments. Clifford Burns would ask the officers to just shoot him in the head because he did not want to live anymore. He blamed Patricia for leaving him and screamed about her ex-boyfriend Ted Bacchus. Burns also threatened the life of Bacchus and warned the officers to never let him out because he would kill him if he got the chance believe that Bacchus got off lightly after assaulting Patricia in February of that year because Patricia's former partner's brothers worked in law enforcement.
2: You know what happened today? Family court calls my lawyer up saying they're fucking taking my kids and put me in jail and I did nothing but pay it, you guys. And this guy shoots the house up with a loaded handgun, gets all misdemeanors. It was an apartment complex. You know Governor Cuomo's gun laws? It was an unregistered handgun. Every gun, every bullet in the fucking chamber of a gun was a felony. Going in the apartment complex was a felony and dislodging the handgun. He got nine fucking misdemeanors because of his brother. Beat my old lady, I put her in the fucking hospital, my kid was home, let me shut the fucking motherfucker! Get him in here and put me in a room with both of beat the fuck out of him. He ran like a coward and a snake, and his brothers are two pieces of shit. I have no idea what you're familiar You know what I'm fucking referring? 69 Route N. Okay. December of last year you're when he went me with in with him. Right so I'm telling you, Zen. I wasn't there last night, so I don't know. He's were not there. Nobody did nothing to him. <laughs> but me, two court orders against me, and haven't seen my kids since last fucking year. He disappeared from the town because i been going up there the last few days. I was going to got him, Teddy Backus. You can tell him I said it. Don't ever let me out of jail again. Because I'll kill him. I love my children. Right here, motherfucker, Irish, and you cocksuckers are Irish, and you let this motherfucker walk? We didn't let him do anything. But his brothers did. Okay. When I came home from family court, when she had me arrested on a fucking violation, the cop in the car said he was brand new and he knew the charges were Trump, but he didn't open his fucking mouth.
1: Throughout the interview, Burns displays emotional outbursts. He rants and curses at the police officers' claims that he's Irish and erroneously associates this with a white power tattoo on his chest. Burns uses racial epithets and slams his hands on the desk, at one point even knocking over a computer monitor. Burns tells the officers that he had thought about killing Patricia and just going into the woods to survive, boasting that his father taught him how. Burns then says he believed he did the officers a favour, telling them, I could have made this a war. You would have had to drop a fucking platoon in the woods for me. I cut you a big break. Burns remarked that he just wanted to see his babies at Christmas. I
2: just wanted to see my fucking babies, man. I'm asking you if you have any fucking heart at all. You have kids, do you know what I'm going through? This bitch took me right out of their life with the a phony court order. I never did nothing wrong. I work, I work, I work. I can only say so much. I fucking can't do it no more. I can't even go out of my fucking house. I feel like I'm fucking mentally fucking insane. I don't even have a conversation with anybody anymore, I go into a store and I'm like scared to death because I got all this fucking emotional baggage on me, fucking court, family court, no visitation, this and that, this and that, this and that. I don't even know what to fucking tell you anymore. I fucking went to a counselor, he told me, I talked to him, you're doing the right thing, stay away from her, she'll never change, you go back with her, what the fuck, she'll only drink and fuck over you again. She did it four years ago. I spent all kinds of money. I took the fucking bitch back because I love my children. It's all I worry about is my little babies. That's it. God fucking strike me dead. Strike me fucking dead, motherfucker. You put the devil on my shoulder and you put him on the other fucking side. Strike me fucking dead. I don't even give a fuck. Kill me. Put a bullet in me right now. Put a fucking bullet in me. Blow my fucking head off right now. Take the knife out and put one in me. Just fucking end it. I should have pretended I had a gun out there. I thought about it all the way. I don't want to live no more. You took every fucking thing from me, you cowardly little cocksuckers, and it started last year with the Packers Brothers.
1: Throughout the interview, Clifford Burns blamed everyone else but himself. He holds Patricia responsible for ruining his life. He said that she was a stripper and an alcoholic who was a negligent parent. Burns even accused her of infidelity. Burns blamed Patricia's former partner Ted Backus for convincing her to take out a protection order against him and preventing Burns from seeing his children. Burns blamed his sister who spoke with his daughters without his knowledge. He blamed the woman from child services who told his lawyer that a warrant would be issued for his arrest after he missed two child support payments.
2: Kick myself in the ass for fucking my whole life up. And what do I do? I try to do the white picket fucking fencing and I married a stripper. I, just, I destroyed my own life. This bitch got off on humiliating me. Taking my kids out of my life, putting court orders on me to cover up her drinking and running around with this fucking little piss amp punk. That was my one mission. I wanted to kill that motherfucker. I'll tell you straight out, Teddy Bacchus. I wanted him. He's disappeared. Is he in jail? I, I have no idea where he Run is. his fucking name. Stop playing fucking games. I, I don't know where he is. I don't know where he's at. You don't know where he's, don't know he's at? No, i Bet you his brothers do, though, don't they? They out-hunting the last month? I have no idea what they Do mean. you know any man who fucking... I don't know what to tell you. I can't get that shit off my mind how disgusting it is. When there's children in an apartment building and dislodge a firearm, they're felonies across the board. You keep fucking telling me that they ain't, and I want to punch your fucking face in. Did, you're you cow- me, did you hear me well, say that? Well, then why did you? You were there? I told. I told you were wasn't fucking a, there? Wasn't That's when you said the wrong thing to me. You it. were there? I, but you, and I give you an honest answer. Right. You, you said let them handle it. But when there's 40 fucking cops there in a the SWAT team, the guy gets no felonies? Just, Come on, you're an intelligent motherfucker. I know you kick ass. You're military and everything. I can tell just this by the way you stand and present yourself. You're telling me my charges? They're fucking... His charges weren't fucking uh, felonies? I'm not saying they were. No, you know they were. But you couldn't but do not nothing pissed. because you're a rookie. I understand it. Them two, how long they've been here? I heard one brother's a pissant and one's way up in the fucking thing. All right? Charges got rigged. Case closed. Don't want to hear another fucking thing. It was the beginning of the end for me. My whole life has fallen apart in the last two fucking years. And I keep telling her, leave me alone, leave me alone. I wrote the kids off, I wrote her off. I didn't go to fuck around. Today I'm being threatened, arrested again. I can't take it no more. I couldn't fucking take it. I don't even know what the fuck, where the fuck am I right now? I don't even know what the fuck. I'm fucking out of my fucking mind.
1: Trying to recount the attack, Clifford Burns explained that it was like the devil took over his body and he blacked out. He supposedly did not remember what happened at Patricia's apartment. Burns told the officers that he had written a will in his home before he left to make sure that his possessions went to his children.
2: You motherfuckers, you know what's going to fuck on, don't you? You're like a coward little bitch is what you are because you know the whole fucking story and you're sitting here playing your shit. I watch your shit on TV every fucking night, the first forty-eight. Well, this man turned himself right to fuck in. What, are you waiting for the murder charge to come in? Is the fucking bitch breathing? I fucking lost it. I don't know what to tell you. Today was the last fucking straw. Alright? Do you remember anything about what happened (laughs) when you got out? I don't remember a fucking thing. You ask me again, I'm gonna put my fucking foot through your fucking head. This fucking fucking cunt from the Sephora collection unit. Call my lawyer on Christmas Eve, I didn't even know they were working. Are they even fucking working today? This is how much of a hard on he calls me up. I don't know if they open today. She came in on Saturday the other paper was dated to fuck me. And then she comes in today another fucking holiday to fuck me on in the ass. That fucking no good fucking cunt. You tell her, if I ever knew her fucking face I would have tore her fucking heart out. The fucking cunt Mother fucking cunt. Clifford, Patricia's dead. Okay. What what? She's dead.
1: After finding out that Patricia had died, Burns began vomiting. Shortly after, he returned to a state of anger, berating his former wife. As the interview came to an end, Clifford Burns said, Till death do us part, baby doll. Early on Christmas morning, Clifford Burns was brought before State Court Justice David Krogman on a second-degree murder charge. Burns was remanded to county jail without bond. On the street where Patricia Burns lived with her daughters, Christmas morning was far from what anyone could imagine for that time of year. There were no children out playing with their new toys. No carols. Police tape cordoned off the crime scene and the neighbours were stunned. Bud York Warren County Sheriff told reporters about the incident, but declined to outline the exact details. Sheriff York said there had been a history of domestic violence at the address. The sheriff patrols and state troopers chased the suspect to the sheriff's office where he was arrested and charged. The murder weapon had still not been recovered at this stage. On December 27th, the local shop where Patricia had worked part-time held a fundraiser for her children. Patricia had helped care for the owner's mother while working as an aide at a local hospice. She was remembered as a hard worker who cared deeply about her job, her patients and children. Two days later, a vigil was held for Patricia Burns. Balloons filled the dark winter sky with poignant messages such as rest in peace and we'll miss you. Students from the local high school and Patricia's daughters attended and released balloons in her memory. Over 100 people congregated to celebrate Patricia's life. They sang Amazing Grace, something the Key Club Choir had sung for the family every Christmas since Kristalyn's death in 2010. Kristalyn had always wanted to join the Key Club Choir, but she never got the chance. Patricia's funeral was held the following day, December 30th,
0: Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: In January, Clifford Burns was brought to an arraignment hearing before Warren County Judge John Hall. He pleaded not guilty to an indictment of five charges, including second-degree murder and first-degree assault. Evidence was filed from the Sheriff's Office and District Attorney, which included the almost seven-hour tape of interview footage the 911 call Autumn Burns made, and the medical records from when Patricia and Megan were taken to the hospital following the attack. Patricia Burns had sustained five stab wounds to her torso. The fatal injuries had punctured her lung and her liver. Megan had sustained a stab wound to her left arm that was so deep it had severed a tendon and needed to be surgically repaired. Meanwhile, Clifford Burns obtained a public defender who entered a not-guilty plea on his behalf. Burns' previous criminal history was outlined by Judge Hall. The defendant had two felonies and four misdemeanor convictions. Megan Jenkins, Patricia's eldest daughter, wrote a statement that detailed the events of December 24th. She said that her mother had been preparing Christmas Eve dinner when there was a knock on the apartment door. Clifford Burns barged his way in and slammed Patricia against the wall before repeatedly stabbing her in the stomach. Megan's statement details that Burns told Patricia, You are going to die in this house. Megan jumped on her stepfather to stop him. He shoved her back and stabbed her in the arm before saying Don't think this is the last for you, bitch. Autumn Burns had told the police that she was alerted to something being wrong in the home when she heard her mother screaming in the kitchen. She ran from another room in the apartment and saw her mother being stabbed by her father while her mother was saying Cliff, don't do this. I love you. Public defender Marcy Flores entered a not guilty plea on Clifford Burns' behalf and he was rearranged. Ted Backus attended the hearing in early January 2014. Outside the court Backus said that Burns had threatened to kill him and Patricia on numerous occasions. Backus told reporters that Burns abuse got worse after Patricia's daughter Christaline died and Burns violated a protection order Patricia had taken out against him in 2009. The case was sent to a grand jury for review. A grand jury procedure is held in secret out of the eyes of the media. This jury decides what formal charges can be brought against the accused. The prosecutor presents their evidence to at least 16 members of the public. Grand jury hearings are less favourable to the defence because only the prosecution can present evidence. In this case, the district attorney had waived a preliminary trial to spare Patricia's daughters the trauma of testifying. The grand jury would decide what charges were to be placed against Clifford Burns and whether the case would go to county court. In February 2014, Clifford Burns' new lawyer Wayne Smith filed a notice indicating his client intended to use extreme emotional disturbance as a psychiatric defence. This would result in a conviction of first-degree manslaughter as opposed to second-degree murder with a maximum sentence of 25 years. Burns' charges were second-degree murder in relation to Patricia Burns, first-degree manslaughter, first-degree assault, third-degree possession of a weapon, and the misdemeanor charge of fleeing from the police. According to the New York Penal Law, to have an affirmative defence of extreme emotional disturbance, or EED, the defendant must have an extreme emotional disturbance that resulted in a profound loss of control. There must also be a reasonable explanation for the defendant's reaction to this disturbance, and in the case of homicide they must have acted under the influence of extreme emotional disturbance. It is up to a jury to accept the defence by trying to understand the defendant's viewpoint in relation to EED. This defence relies on there being a reasonable excuse for the emotional disturbance suffered by the defendant, not an excuse for the crime committed. Kate Hogan, a Warren County District Attorney, said that she would contest the defence she believed that the appropriate charge of second-degree murder should be upheld. It was presented that Burns' actions were in direct conflict with the claim that he did not remember the events or plan them. These included leaving a note in his home detailing what he wanted to happen to his possessions after his arrest, driving almost an hour to Patricia Burns' home from his own house. Text messages Burns sent to his daughter before the attack that could be interpreted as a threat. Fleeing the crime scene and disposing of the knife. And in the police interviews, he spoke of how he had planned numerous ways to kill or harm his ex-wife. Clifford Burns' criminal history showed that he had been abusive in domestic situations for a long time. This was not the case of a man who simply snapped, the prosecution alleged. Throughout his time in custody in County Jail, Burns was said to have been threatening and abusive towards guards and other inmates. Just four days after the attack, one corrections officer heard Burns say, I'm glad I killed her. Burns also threatened another officer that he would cut his throat take his tongue out and mop the floor with his blood. Corrections officer Anthony Kubrick stated that Burns had threatened to snap his neck like a twig. On April 17th, Clifford Burns was brought to court again, this time to plead guilty. Burns had accepted a plea deal which meant that in exchange for his plea, he would only receive a minimum of 23 years for the murder charge. The other charges would be dropped. When questioned by Judge Hall, Burns initially said that he had not purposefully killed his ex wife. However, the defendant would eventually admit that he did intend to kill Patricia when he was on top of her, repeatedly stabbing her with a weapon. Burns went on to say that he did not know how many injuries he inflicted. He thought he had stabbed Patricia once, but she received a total of five severe injuries. Burns tried to explain the circumstances that led up to the attack and again spoke about the child support issues and not being able to see his children. Sentencing was set for May 2014. The assault charge against Megan was dropped, but Burns was ordered to pay restitution and sign over some of his property to her. The district attorney Kate Hogan said that the plea deal spared Burns two years in prison, but also saved the children the trauma of testifying at a trial. DA Hogan said, In this particular case, forcing the children to relive the horrors of that night hardly seemed worth the two years. We were able to secure a top-count conviction and 23 years to life. From our perspective, that was a good disposition. As Burns was led out of the courtroom, he turned around to his daughters who were sitting in the jury box and told them that he loved them. Sentencing was scheduled for later in the year. Shortly after his admission, Clifford Burns filed a motion to withdraw his guilty plea. Burns' new attorney Garfield Raymond argued that his client had the right to withdraw his plea because he had ineffective counsel and was unable to enter the correct plea because he was in a complex emotional state. At the sentencing hearing on September 5th, Raymond said that after Burns had met with his daughters, the defendant was experiencing extreme emotional disturbance. Burns had seen his daughters at their request. They urged him to accept the plea deal to prevent them from having to go through a full trial. It also meant that he would potentially avoid being sentenced to 50 years behind bars. When discussing the plea deal with his counsel after the meeting, Burns accepted it without question. The county court explained what accepting the plea deal would mean going forward, and he admitted the charge and entered a guilty plea. Defence counsel Garfield Raymond told Judge Hall that the knife used to kill Patricia Burns was her own knife and that Burns was suffering from extreme emotional disturbance when he committed the crime. The child support payments and Burns' feelings about the February 2013 incident involving Ted Backus were again raised as motivations. Burns told the judge, I never intended to kill my wife, and I am innocent of the murder of my wife. It was Burns' position that his previous attorney did not advise him about the emotional disturbance defence before he accepted the plea deal. District Attorney Kate Hogan contested this argument and told the judge that there was evidence that Burns knew what he was doing and he carried out the attack with premeditation. Hogan cited the fact that Burns had left a note in his house stating what he intended to do with his possessions. He went to the apartment wearing camouflage clothes and a mask and was carrying a hunting knife. The district attorney maintained that there was no viable extreme emotional disturbance defence. Attorney Garfield Raymond argued that the note was left because his client intended to violate the protection order to see his children during Christmas, not because he was planning on killing their mother. Judge Hull denied the request to take back the guilty plea and said that it was made voluntarily. The judge said that it was unfortunate that Burns would not take responsibility for his actions adding that Byrne's 15-year-old daughter appeared more mature than her father. Following the judge's decision, Patricia Byrne's daughters read victim impact statements to the courtroom, which was filled with their mother's loved ones. Megan spoke of Patricia's love, care and energy and said that Christmas was tainted forever and that whenever she closed her eyes she could see her mother bleeding out on the floor. Megan told the court, What Cliff really took from me that Christmas Eve was my heart. Autumn said that her mother was her best friend, and that Patricia's death had left her scared that someday it would happen to her. Autumn remarked, I live day to day wondering what if and how come, and why. Another of Patricia's daughters, Harley, said that there were no words to describe how she felt and that she just wished she had her mother to support her. Harley addressed her father, who sat with his head down at the defence table. "'What is a 15-year-old girl supposed to do without her mother?' she said. "'You didn't think about your own children.' As agreed in the plea deal, Clifford Burns accepted in April. He was sentenced to 23 years to life in prison for the murder of Patricia Burns. Burns argued with the judge when he imposed a 31-year protection order that would prevent the killer from contacting his children. The judge said that Patricia's children could appeal the protection order once they turned 18 but that did not mean he would lift the restriction due to the abuse of the children by murdering their mother. Just before the first Christmas without Patricia, a mother Helen Curran spoke to the Daily Mail and recalled how she found out about her daughter's death. Helen said that she received a call from Patricia's son, who told her to turn on the news. There, she saw the reports that her daughter had been stabbed in her home, as had her granddaughter, Megan. Ellen said she went to the court when Burns was sentenced and felt that the term was not long enough. Ellen told the publication, The children and I have been handed our own life sentence, one without a wonderful mother and daughter. Christmas will never be the same. This year we will be holding a remembrance for her. If I can stop one other family going through what Trish did, then that will be a start. I knew Clifford Burns was rotten to the core the day I met him. I just wish Trish had seen what I did. A monster. Clifford Burns and his lawyers filed an appeal which was heard the following year. In October 2015, Burns' counsel Matthew Hugg said to the Supreme Court Appellate Division that his client wanted to argue extreme emotional distress from the beginning, but the district attorney dangled his daughters in front of him, and they all talked him into taking the plea. Hugg said it was a clear case of coercion when Burns accepted the guilty plea. The state argued that there was overwhelming evidence to support Burns' guilt and that the defence of extreme emotional disturbance would not have been viable. Before sentencing, Burns had filed a pro se motion to withdraw his guilty plea. He stated that it was entered under duress and involuntarily after meeting with his daughters. Burns also said that he had ineffective counsel in attorney Wayne Smith. This motion was denied and a new lawyer was assigned to Burns to represent him. Matthew Hug submitted an appellate brief that contended that the county court erred when they denied Burns' motion to withdraw his plea. In the appellate decision, they refer to the People v. Messiah. And state that whether to permit a defendant to withdraw his or her plea of guilty is left to the sound discretion of the county court, and withdrawal will not generally be permitted absent some evidence of innocence, fraud, or mistake in its inducement. The appellate court denied the appeal in a written document. It read that the record showed no support of Burns' claim that he was rendered incapable of entering a voluntary guilty plea after speaking with his daughters. The decision also states that they found the defendant's claim that he did not have effective counsel was contradicted by the record, which showed that the original counsel for the defence secured a favourable plea deal. The decision read in part, Given the overwhelming proof of the defendant's guilt, including eyewitness accounts, we find that contrary to his claims, counsel reasonably encouraged him to accept the favourable plea deal and afforded him meaningful representation. Finally, defendants' pro se claims including those regarding the arrangement lack merit or are outside the record-on appeal. Justice Christine Clark wrote, We find that the record provides no support for defendants' claims that he was so emotionally distraught as a result of the family meeting as to render him incapable of entering a voluntary guilty plea, and otherwise reflects that he was fully advised of his rights and freely entered a knowing, voluntary, and intelligent plea. District Attorney Kate Hogan called the result gratifying. Clifford Burns never accepted responsibility for his actions and tried to blame anyone but himself. He portrayed himself as a victim. His daughters have been left without either parent as a result of his actions sentence of 23 years means he will be eligible for parole in 2036. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women and one in four men experience some form of physical abuse by an intimate partner. Domestic hotlines receive an average of 20,000 calls a day in the United States. Domestic abuse accounts for almost 15% of all violent crime, and that is only the reported cases. What happens behind closed doors sometimes stays there. 1 in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, with 90% of these children witnessing the violence. While Christmas is a time for celebration for most, for some it is the most dangerous. Everyday stressors are coupled with seasonal factors such as increased alcohol intake, financial stress and being stuck inside for long periods of time. Domestic violence spikes around the holidays. With the increased pressure of COVID-19 and lockdowns affecting households around the globe, There has also been an influx of calls to domestic violence helplines In homes where there are children These helpless victims are more likely than ever to not only witness abuse But be subjected to it themselves If you are concerned about a loved one Contact a helpline or professionals Intimate terrorism is a pandemic in itself Abusers and their victims are being locked in together, but there is still help out there. Organisations are still operating to ensure that victims of intimate partner violence have a safe place to seek refuge when they feel able to reach out. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson and Eileen McFarland. Editing by Brad Maybe. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. Thank you for listening.